What is up, everybody? Welcome back to the Rockcast, brought to you by Onyx Hunt Maps. Jordan here, and this week we've got a super cool episode for you. A couple of guys on from Eastman's Hunting Journals. We have Ike Eastman, and we have Scott Reekers on. And this episode's called Talk and Shop, and that's pretty much what we're doing. Um, not one thing was specifically on the on topic, so we go into the Wyoming corner crossing case just a little bit. We go into overcrowding across the West, point creep, um, things like that. So we kind of just BS back and forth. So, But I think there's some really good information in here. Um, first off, before we dive into the episode, you can get 20% off on X-Hunt Maps by entering the code ROCKCAST at checkout. And also, for the best dang coffee around, visit BlackRifleCoffee.com. And yeah, with that, we'll dive right in. But yeah, sweet. Let's just, we should just dive right into it. You want to just take over, Ike? We were basically talking about overcrowding. Yeah. Um, overcrowding is a, an interesting concept. Uh, that It's funny when people become new hunters, they think they they just found something. And you know, you, whenever you find something new, you think you're one of the first to, to be there. Um, it's not like they've put out less tags in most areas, or it's not like they put out more tags or, you know, I think what's really happening is a lot of guys are hunting more states. You're seeing guys, you know, hunt, you know, every, you know, people from Wyoming are now hunting Montana, Wyoming, uh, obviously, maybe Idaho, maybe Colorado. So they're hunting three states on average versus just their own, which has happened in the past. The other thing is happening, <laughs> and and this is a you know with with every good thing comes something that isn't. And with the new uh, the new gear that's out there, you know, you have the the new badass backpacks, and you have the new clothing that makes it comfortable. You have sleeping systems that are built for you know inclement weather. Weather. Uh, these guys are it's not you know out there two days and tired of freezing, so they go home. They're actually out there spending time, spending weeks or five days, ten day hunts, and they're actually spending the time out there. Well, when you take the same amount of people and you double to triple the amount of time they're spending in the backcountry, it just feels like there's more people. Um, the good thing is, is, you know, that everybody is good, have, does have good gear, which is awesome. You know, I'm glad that it's happened. It's, I can remember the days, you know, 20 years ago when I was in my twenties and I had, you know, it was Carhartt coats and, and uh, blue jeans that you got clean to your knees and you were wet for four days. And that's just what happened. You know, now you don't have to do that anymore. <laughs> like, uh, <laughs> but John Barclow says, you can wear that stuff and kill big animals, but why? Well, now these guys are able to spend so much more time out there that they're, that they're you know, run, running over each other, which happens. Um, as far as the tags go, you know, is it harder to draw certain things? Yeah. Um, is it 100% because more people are applying? I wouldn't put it just there. You know, there is, there's, I think there were 75,000 more people applied in Montana alone last year, um, which is significant. That's a lot. However, um, you know, you look at, at the number of tags versus the number of people applying, and it could just very easily be that hunting has become a, a statement now. It's not so much taboo and it's not so much, oh, that's what my grandfather did. Um, so you know, tags are, tags are being allocated differently and they're being managed differently. And, um, you know, it's, it's a, it's a plethora of, I would say there's not one single thing that's, that's affecting that. It's multiple things. And, you know, it's people that have always hunted, hunting more and it's new people hunting, um, which is good. Those are all good things. And I, these are good problems, but I think the biggest thing that is affecting tag allocations um right now is the point creep and point creep's a real problem you know 20 years ago when everybody max points was five six maybe seven people were drawing stuff well now you're in the 27s and you have some people waited 27 years to draw a sheep tag or a you know whatever elk tag in arizona that that is that gets to the point where some guys are desperate <laughs> and now the, the other thing that's happened with point creep this is happening a lot in, in wyoming guys are tired of it and so they're just cashing their points and they're putting in for you know they're putting in for units they could more than 100 percent draw for which is messing up those lower end units as well 
because you know competing with a guy that has 13 points when last year only took eight to draw it and all of a sudden now it takes 13 so those are you know that's i know i skimmed across a bunch of stuff there but that's those are all big problems and uh how you fix it i one one of the biggest ways to fix is conservation actually you know conservation is trophy hunting and trophy hunting is conservation and if you have more people uh trophy hunting which means willing to eat tag soup you're you're leaving more animals out there um and that opportunity you know increases the 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 chances next year plus they're having some they're doing these studies that now uh, you know they're seeing what's really affecting uh, yep. population growth and decline and hunting is not it you know it's cars hitting deer on the highway and it's uh you know there's reekers what was that statistic you were telling me about with the number of deer that got killed versus other things in wyoming so there are 14,000 approximately deer that die on the highway in wyoming so i just wrote a blog actually uh two weeks ago, I think, on this this subject. So that is almost the equivalent of the same number of buck deer that die in Wyoming from a hunting season. Now, when you're talking an actual population, what does that mean? Most of what is killed on a highway is does or fawns. And so you are immediately taking 14,000 animals that are the reproducers. A one buck can service a whole bunch of does, but if there's no does to service, you're running out of the, of the resource. And so, if we can figure out ways to mitigate collisions, that will put more animals in the field. And it's not just Wyoming that's doing the research. We've got a lot of famous migration routes. I mean, we did the migration film. What was that now? Almost two years ago. Um, but in in saying all of that, there's there's an opportunity in studying these migration routes, figuring out where they're having intersections with highways and let's figure out the best ways to mitigate those collisions and keep those does and fawns in the field. Because if you take one fawn out, that's a there that is potentially a breeding doe in two years. Well, now you've got an opportunity for her to have twins and it's just and it's, exponential numbers. Right. Yeah. It's exponential. And every other doe or every other fawn is a buck. So you, you're killing off. And I would say the majority of the, the collisions are, are fawns because they're not used to traffic yet. Yep. You know, it's like, it's like putting a highway through a, a elementary school ground. <laughs> That's a terrible mental image. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, just the, uh, I think habitat improvement or just the like encroachment from people like here, I live in Meridian. So between Meridian and Nampa, there's like, there used to be big farm fields that I hear people used to whack geese out of and hunt all the time. They're gone. They're shopping malls now, you know, like that has to, that has to make a toll. Actually, I read a statistic yesterday that Boise has the, had the largest uh, percentage of growth, population growth in, uh, in all of the Western states. It was like 8% population growth in one year which that's, that's crazy. And we went there cause we go there about every couple of years to visit clients and stuff. And, uh, that there's a road from Eagle to, uh, well, basically the interstate that used to be a kind of a sleepy little four lane. It was insane. We sat at one light three times trying to get through it. Yeah. I don't like that road. That's Eagle road. Not a fan. <laughs> All that. You know it well. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We know it well, but yeah, it's definitely, it's definitely a problem. And then how do you, I mean, you can't make more of it. So can't make more habitat, you know? So I have heard of some cool things going on in Wyoming um, from one of our MRS writers, uh, Jaden Bales. One of the things that he's heard of um, is there are some different funds that are, we are working in place um, to get them fully funded endowments type of um, type of work where they're going to identify migration route land that comes up for sale and they're going to buy it and put it in into migration route perpetuity so that it can never be developed, things like that. And so doing things like that are going to make a big difference, but we all have to get out our checkbooks. Uh, I mean, that's just really what it comes down mm -hmm. to. If you believe in something, you have to do something about it. And, you know, like what, um, 
refresh my memory on all the ways we worked with the Wyoming conservation license plates because we did a lot to help them get started, but it's a really cool program. So remind me how that worked again with what we did and what they are. Yeah. So um, one of the nonprofit mule deer foundations here, uh, one, they, they put together, um, uh, I guess you'd call it a plan with Wyoming. We don't have up until that we have Wyoming is really rare because we don't have very many people and 500,000 people live in this whole state. So we don't have vanity plates. Most states, Montana, Idaho, you guys have a ton of vanity plates. And um, we, we have one now for the University of Wyoming. And now we have our wildlife conservation plate. And what they did is it, it allows Joe Blows, like myself, to uh, um, get a vanity plate and the money, the additional money goes directly to the Department of Transportation to in, uh, help these migration corridors. For instance, they're putting in bridges, uh, you know, animal bridges across very, very busy highways like Eagle Road, uh, just that type of stuff. They're putting in fences um, where they can jump. Oh, instead of having the top wire, it's the top is a is a post. So when the, the animal jumps over, it doesn't get tangled in the top wire, which that is a huge problem, especially when there's snow on the ground, you know, you get two feet of snow on the ground and that deer's having to jump through the snow or doesn't even know the fence is there because it's covered. Um, you know, th those types of things. And so what we did, it, it, they came to us, the game and fish came to us and said, Hey, if, if you guys could figure out a way to help us promote this, we, they wanted uh, 2021 plates on, on the highways uh, by the end of 2021. Oh, I'm sorry, this is 2020. So it was 2020 plates <clears throat> on the highways before the end of 2020. And so we donated a, a Tag Hub subscription uh, it, with every single person that got a, a plate, a vanity plate, they got a free Tag Hub $150 a year subscription, which includes the, the stuff that we were talking about, all the areas, and it includes both uh, print pubs and a bunch of other stuff. And, you know, every single one of those guys took it. Well, also what that did is it stemmed other companies to promote that same thing. And they were given discounts and, you know, they, they got a, a chance to win a Weatherby rifle and yep. all kinds of neat things just to promote this conservation. Because these corridors, uh, the Gary Frelick, the, the biologist down in that area was telling us that if they can fix the highway uh, collision, if they can cut it in half, the population will double in five years, double in five years. That takes that, that area, which is takes six to seven tags or seven points to draw. It takes it down to three to two to three. And plus the, because people don't understand is that population is using the resource because they're, you know, they're reproducing. It's hard to manage that. Do we, did we kill 40,000 animals on the highway? Did we kill 15,000 animals on the highway? Where hunting is a lot easier to manage, it's a lot easier to predict the, the success rates than, you know, we had a bad winter. Uh, not only are these animals struggling with habitat, they're also getting whacked on the highway. So um, it just helps management, which helps hunting, which helps conservation. And, and you, the, the one thing through this whole process, guys are like, how, you know, how do I get involved? I, you know, I don't have a bunch of money and I don't have a bunch of time. I don't have an audience. How do I get involved? Hey man, somebody's got to put those fences up. It's boots on the ground. Get a hold, get a hold of one of your local conservation groups. If it's the sheep foundation or elk foundation or one of the mini mule deer foundations, just donate your time. If it's at a banquet or it's at standing out yep. in the field, putting, putting posts up. Sorry. That's my, that's my rant for conservation. That's a good rant. <laughs> that's a good rant. Yeah, it, it was pretty cool to be involved in that. And I saw the, I, I believe they, they'd met the goal of 2020 and 2020. And oh, yeah. it was yep. pretty cool to see them do that. And so. And it's not just Wyoming. Yep. Um, I'm doing a thing at the, at the hunt expo this year. It's called the mule deer summit. And those guys are uh, putting on, you know, what, what's next, what's the next phase of all of this. And so they're doing the same thing in Utah. They're doing the same thing in Idaho. They're, they're studying these migration routes and cause there, there's a ton of deer that migrate in Idaho specifically. And what, how do they protect them? What's, what's their threat. And, you know, I got to interview one of the guys from the department of interior, Casey Stamler. And um, he, you know, I asked him, I said, you know, this is all fine and Danny, but where's the money going to come from? And the thing that blew me away is that 
the uh, Department of Interior earmarked, I don't remember how many, it was like $30 million or $10 million a year for three years or something like that, earmarked that money specifically for this. He said, we're looking at it as with a landowner, the conservation organizations, if they're willing to do the work, we'll donate the money to build these fences, to build these overpasses, to do all that stuff. So we don't even have to generate the money to do it. All we have to do is generate the publicity and generate the, the boots on the ground, which is, that's the easiest part. Yeah. I I had Jaden on the podcast, oh, I don't know, a few months ago now. And mm -hmm. one of the big things he was saying was a lot of these meetings that he's going to for the Federation, like there's no hunters there. Mm -mm. There's nobody, there's <clears> like 150 <throat> people there opposing something, but there was like three hunters or something. Yep. And yeah, we, in you know, we, we all, all keep our our I call it just our butts up and our heads down working away and hoping for the one week of vacation we get to go hunting but we're gonna have to miss a couple of soccer practices and a, and a football practice and get get involved in those in those those meetings and let our voices be heard or else why wouldn't they go that way that's what they're hearing from the public yep and we've attended a few in particular. We get a lot of grizzly bear meetings up here. So our crew has intentionally gone to those things because we know that that, that is one that affects the way we, the way we hunt and the way we enjoy the outdoors in this region in particular. But it's a challenge because there's so many of them to go to. Which ones do we go to? Which ones are going to be the most productive? And, and that's, the, that's the hardest part too is that there's, there's a lot of people who like live to lobby. That's, that's like what they do. That is their hobby. Whereas, man, I've got um, a full-time job. I've got four kids. I've got all this other and on and on and on and on. And it's tough to compete with people who intentionally don't have that competition in their life for anything. I like the ones that are more entertaining. The bears are always entertaining because you, oh, yeah. you, you have some extremes on both ends of it. Mm -hmm. So if nothing else, pour yourself a cocktail and watch the fireworks. But um, <laughs> you, you got to get involved in the ones that, that are, are, are important to you, that impact you, you yes. know, specifically. Um. Yeah. So one thing I think that's come up, especially with the overcrowding issues, is like, well, I guess I'm with point creep as well is opportunity that gets talked about a lot too with overcrowding there's limited opportunity i think from my experience it seems to be kind of hit and miss depending on where you're at yep um but i think states implementing some things i think what idaho did last year and i was a non-resident last year so i uh, i was online when all the shit show went down december 1st <laughs> of trying to get a tag it took me like four hours to get a tag but uh i think that from what I've talked to like residents and stuff, it seemed to really spread the pressure out. And I just, I feel like a lot of over the counter states and units are going to end up going a direction like that. Yeah. So I'll throw in what I, I was doing some research on this very specific topic because we've talked about this before on, on your podcast, that region G and region H are pretty, uh, pretty special in my, you know, to me personally, I love hunting over there. And I was like, man, what's going on with mule deer there. And so started digging into the numbers. I'm like, are we over hunting this thing? And so dug up this, uh, it's a spreadsheet that Wyoming game and fish has put out and it showed the number of general hunters in the state of Wyoming over the course of the last 10 years, our general deer tags are down over the last 10 years, even with the resurgence in the last two. So, purchasing of them, right? Yeah, the, purchasing The number of that them. are sold. Yep. And so then I'll do a dive even deeper. We're also finally hitting that point where everybody's been worried about it. What happens when baby boomers retire? Baby boomers are buying their licenses out of habit, but they're not spending many days in the field. And so Wyoming Game and Fish has qualified that as active hunters. So it was pretty common to see somewhere around 70,000 like licenses were actually sold, but somewhere around 50 to 55 active hunters, 55,000 active hunters actually hit the field. So that means that a whole bunch of people bought licenses, but never actually hunted. So we're actually talking 50,000 people spread across the state of Wyoming on deer tags. 
And that's, and that's, that's lower than what it was 10 years ago. And think about the changes that we made in, let's just say region G and H, they have cut those tags way down to 400 non-residents per G and per H. So yeah, with that in mind, hunters in the back yes. country there, but that's why, that's why I'm, I'm, I think there, there's less, that's a great example of my point earlier. There's less tags in the field. They're just staying longer. Yep. You know, it used to be, well, Reekers is, Reekers is from Rock Springs. You should go <laughs> for a weekend. You know, those guys all yep. hunt G that cause they're so close, but they used to go for a long three day weekend. And that was the season. Rarely did they spend a week. That was a long time. You know, you yep. couldn't get that much time off now. Those guys are going for, you know, three or four four day weekends. Yep. They're spending the whole season in there. Yep. And I I dare say that hunting has switched from a um from a hobby to a lifestyle for a lot of guys. It, it's it replaces their their team. Um, they leave high school sports and then they realize they got four or five guys they're willing to hunt with and do a lot of things with. Um, my buddy Dalton is a great example of that. He's got his four or five guys that he goes hunting with and they regularly spend time together. Outdoors is their thing, you know? And so that's kind of replaced that that spot in their lives where they had that team mentality. And so that's what they go do. It's their, you know, it's their bread and butter and that's how they, they operate. And so I, I do think that is one area that's changed. So maybe spreading pressure might be like a general A and general B, if it made sense, like different season dates, spreading some yeah. people across the board. But then, but by the time we get to doing something like that, we're almost at a limited quota system anyway. Yeah. And I, you know, I have my theory, I've been, I've been toying with, with uh, the playing with this theory for a long time, but you know, there's two, there's two types of, of hunters. There's the, the guy that is willing to eat tag soup, who I call climbing the trophy ladder. You know, he killed a, you know, he's killed, he's graduated high school or in high school, whatever, he killed a nice buck. And he's kind of graduating up trying to kill that one once in a lifetime, 200 plus deer. Right. And he's willing to go home with tag soup. Then there's the other guys that, you know, I have a bunch of bodies that are this way. They, they want to be in the field. And if they kill a deer, you know, that's the, that's the point. Let's going to kill a deer. I'm going to spend uh, four days to do this. I'm going to spend two days looking around for the biggest deer, and then I'm going to shoot something. So those types of guys can be managed. You know, you're managing wildlife. Why can't we manage that type of hunter differently? Why, why not build some areas that have a huge population of deer, but maybe aren't trophy class. There's not a huge trophy class in there. And then take some of the areas and build trophy class areas in there and bump the price for that tag. So, so that you're not getting that second, um, that second gentleman in these classes, he's not going to go spend 600 bucks for a tag to shoot a fork and horn. He'll spend 60 bucks or 80 bucks as a Wyoming resident to go shoot, you know, a meat deer and have the potential to shoot a nice four point, but a meat deer. And then that leads the pressure plus the management's a little easier. The other thing it does is it, is it allows, you know, those guys to, uh, I guess, recreate differently. Cause you're not going to do, you know, the, the, the second type of guy is not going to go to the back country on horses and spend four days or, you know, backpack in 10 miles and spend 10 days back there. That's not him. He's, he's looking for something that's ATV accessible, maybe, you know, two miles max from the trailhead and, and hunt and each side of this, I want, I want everybody to be completely understand. I am completely clear here. I think both of those have to happen. Yep. We have to have both of those guys and there's nothing wrong with either one of them. In fact, I'm a, <laughs> I'm that way with certain species. I love mule deer and I'm, I'm trying to climb that trophy ladder on mule deer, but elk, I'm just looking for a six point and to put a bunch <laughs> of meat in the freezer. I am not, I'm not, gonna, I'm not looking to shoot a 380 bull and never probably, I, hopefully I do, but never, I probably never will. Um, and, and so I, those, both of those guys are both of me are very important to our society and to hunting because that's what's making the wheels go around. And, and is Little people know, I'm sure your audience does, but little people know, you know, conservation in the U.S., the, the North American conservation model is run off of money that is produced solely by hunters, hunters and hunters, anglers and um, 
and uh, firearms. That's it. You know, the amount of money that the that PETA puts into this system is it's it's not even it's not even yeah. an allowance compared to what is put in there from the Pittman Robbins. And you know, it, that's why not let both of those guys have what they're looking for. You know, manage to that. And, you know, Idaho, so it's funny, uh, Dan, one of our guys you know, is, was hoping to hunt Idaho elk this year and has had, has in the past a bunch. And he got on and messed <laughs> up somehow. I can't remember what the, the, his excuse was, but messed up and became like 22,000, number 22,000 on, oh, on the man. list. He didn't draw yeah. one, of course. <clears throat> I mean, that's not going to happen, but you know, that is a unique system. It is frustrating too, because nothing like starting off your hunt with sitting there for four and a half hours to find out you didn't draw it. <laughs> oh man. I, and the worst part about that is they've gone to a draw like of sorts already. It's just a draw of who can get to their computer the fastest. To me, it makes more sense. Like why not just turn this all into a limited quota Idaho, collect your application yeah. fees out of this deal and just run a draw on the stupid thing. You've already set a quota. You've done all the hard work. So well, why I got to come in because it doesn't work either. <laughs> so <laughs> they're trying something new. Hey, at least they're doing that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, seriously. Um, any other like hot things that you guys are seeing popping up now? Oh, yeah. There's um, there's a ton of stuff. There's a corner crossing um, yep. legislation mm -hmm. that's happening in Wyoming right now that a lot of people are looking at. And, um, you know, it's, I don't, to say, I don't have an opinion. I don't have a public opinion about it. Uh, it's going to be very interesting to see what happens if it goes through legislation, if it goes through the court system and, and where that lies. Cause I can see 100% can see both sides of it. And, you know, I'm, I'm a property owner and I don't want my neighbor crossing the, the fence to my other neighbors uh, just to go over there and drink beer with them. That's, that seems like a lot of headache to me, but I also see, Hey, airspace is free. You know, these guys crossed it on a ladder. Okay. How much of that airspace is yours? I don't know. That's, did you really, did you really disturb anything or are landowners trying to protect something that's not really theirs? Uh, I don't know. I, I can see both sides. I, yeah, me too. I don't know. I don't know. It's going to be interesting to see where it lies. And I think it's going to be a fight for a while. Um, you know, they have, they have some stuff going on in Montana with, with wolves. They have some stuff going on in Montana with elk. Of course, the delisting of the grizzly bears up there. Um, they're really, besides the corner crossing thing, they are really uh, jumping into a lot of hot topics uh, legislatively and uh, all of that. So it's, it's going to be interesting. There's, you know, there's, there's always something fun to talk about, and especially this time of year. Yeah. And we've really tried to do a good job the last, you know, the last few years on covering a lot of the hot topics on, um, on our blog at Eastman's and it's, we do it intentionally because we know that, that the audience's time is valuable. And so there's, we could write till we're blue in the face just to get people to look at it, or we can weigh in on the stuff that's really important and worth their time and really worth, really valuable. And we chose to go that route and do a good job on the, the issues that really matter to the DIY guy, as well as the guy that's been dreaming forever and maybe going on an outfitted hunt and that sort of thing. We know their time is valuable. And so that's why we, that's why we've taken that approach and that route to keep people informed on the things that are going to affect their lives the most. I'm really interested to see why they went in Wyoming, why they did it in Wyoming. If it was just an accident or if it was all on purpose, because Wyoming, typically we are a very landowner, pri yeah. private property rights state. We always have been, and uh, we don't have a ton of private property. I think there's only, uh, I think we're number four in the most public land property, you know, public land, uh, land mass in the state. Uh, and why they went here, I don't know, but maybe that's why. Maybe there's a ton. Well, I know there's a ton of I know there's a ton of private land that that is uh, holding up public land or just accessing it. You know, it's it's funny people don't know when all of this country was was uh, when they settled it, especially in Wyoming, but Montana and other places too. They got 160 acres. Well, you're not going to just go 
you know, draw a square. It didn't ever have to say it was going to be a square 160 acres. So yep. what they did is they, they <clears throat> took, they took, you know, 20 yards from both sides of the Creek and as went as what went as far up and down the Creek they could get. Well, because that's, you know, that's where the green grass is. That's where the water is. That's where life happens. And that's what they needed to sustain life out here. So if you look at a lot of maps, that's how the private versus public is, especially in the desert areas. And so this is going to be really interesting to see how much acreage that opens and how much uh, opens or closes. I mean, they could close the door forever on this too. Um, and, and it's going to be interesting. The, the interest, another, I'll tell you another interesting thing that about public land versus private that people don't know and is needs to become a public, you know, people need to be knowing about this and, and we're, we're preparing to do some sort of, uh, I guess, you know, type documentary on it. There's a, in Wyoming alone, there's 3.3 million acres of easement access that nobody knows about. It's, it's easements that the BLM had with, with, you know, Joe landowner 20 years ago, or a hundred years ago, 50 years ago. And that was written on a note and shoved in a filing cabinet and never recorded yep. anywhere. They all exist, but there hasn't been a resource to actually go find those. That could open 3.3 million acres in Wyoming alone. That right now you look at on X and you're clipping along and go, well, we can't cross this. I realize it's yep. only 50 or 60 yard cross this to, to you know, a plethora of public land on the other side, but we can't cross it on this, what seems to be a county road, even if it's two track road. Well, there might be an easement there that has never been recorded. And that would be huge in places like Wyoming, Nevada, um, Montana, not, not as much. Uh, they did a real good job with uh, recording for whatever reason. Uh, there's still some there, but it's not it's not significant millions of acres like in Wyoming, Nevada. Uh, Idaho is another one. So that's going to be another coming down the pipe. Keep your eyes and ears open for that. Yeah, it's it's going to be interesting to see what happens with that. Uh, just that case going in Wyoming now, because like you said, could very easily go the other way. <laughs> And, well, and um, they're going to make a law and you absolutely can't do it. And then, well, and then it's, then it's so, and here's, here's the detriment to that, that I can see is so guys cross, if they court across and it's illegal, they make it illegal right now. It's this gray area. So they're not, they're kind, they're not writing tickets. Some people are writing tickets. So it allows the, the wardens, the sheriffs to, you know, have a little say in the field. If they make it a law, it's kind of like what, you know, Pandora's box or watch yeah. what you wish for. If they make it a law that it's illegal, once you've crossed that corner and you do anything in that public land, even if it's camping or let's say you kill an animal, everything past where you cross that corner is then illegal. No matter if you shot a deer over there legally, it's still poached. You still have to deal with that yep. poaching fine. That's, and a lot of people don't understand once you've broke a law to commit another one or to do something, oh. everything past that is illegal. That's why breaking and entering is breaking and entering, not thieving. Because the thieving came after the fact. And, and well, here's another ripple effect too of this whole situation. So like I mentioned, I grew up in Rock Springs, Wyoming. And so if you look at Rock Springs on a map, you will see that surrounded it by it. <laughs> Depends on which one you look at. <laughs> I mean, yeah. So growing up there, I always thought, you know, because I had never looked at a map. You literally stepped outside of town and that entire desert out there you thought was BLM. Well, it turns out it's actually checkerboard. And so that is owned by Rock Springs Grazing Association, or at least in some way, shape, or form, most of that land around there. So anyone who has drawn an Area 100 type elk tag has had access to all of that land that the Rock Springs Grazing Association graciously allows the public to go there. Now, I think they know, the Rock Springs Grazing Association knows that it would not be fun to tell 20 some thousand people that they can no longer ride their four wheelers on places that they grew up riding because nobody used to care in the 50s, 60s, 70s when all those roads were made. 
But if something comes of this, this case, that there's now case law where the grazing association doesn't have to grant that, and now there's court precedent, they could do what they wanted, and that could completely change the relationship dynamic for a whole lot of people who enjoy that land. And that becomes an issue very quickly. And a lot of great hunting that we've enjoyed for a lot of years because it feels like 100% public access, even though you're standing in the middle of private, that changes things and that can change it in a big way. And I don't, I think it's the difference in just the, the ranching communities, um, I'd almost say the continental divide is kind of where that, where that kind of changes a little bit in particular in the South, in the Southern half of Wyoming, um, because it, it's no longer just checkerboard, like straight checkerboard and, and big corporations that lease it out and allow people to have access. It's a lot more private ranches with a lot of different, uh, different needs and why they wouldn't want people corner crossing. So the dynamic changes and I completely get that. It's a different dynamic on both sides of the state, but there'll be a ripple effect from one side to the other. The other thing that's happening, and I, this this could be why Wyoming is it was targeted for this. Um, in Wyoming, our our school sections, which people don't understand, so school section is when the railroad came through the West, they gave, and I can't remember, it's one out of every so so many. They give a whole section, which is 640 acres, they give to the school systems, and the intent was to use the leasing of that school section, grazing rights or whatever, the, the money would from that would directly go to the school system. And, you know, Wyoming, a lot of these school sections, that's where they put well pads because then that school gets that mineral right off of that well, uh, oil well or gas or whatever. Well, in Wyoming, that is considered public land. You can't camp on it. There's so, There are some rules that you can't do like you can't camp on state land in Wyoming um, but you can hunt on it you can recreate on it it's just it's not much different than the BLM in certain states and I, I'm thinking it's it's either Montana or Colorado I can't remember but those those school sections are leased by a landowner and they have all the rights to it it's not just a grazing lease they have the hunting lease on it they have everything so crossing into a school section um, is different in Wyoming versus Montana versus Colorado. Um, the, in the school sections are a huge, cause it's, a, I mean, you looked at a, you look at a map, a BLM map and they're usually, they're typically blue. There's a lot of blue sections in the state of Wyoming or the state of Colorado or the state of Montana. And that's a huge chunk of public land that is either going to be accessible or not because typically they're, they're surrounded by private land. Yeah. Um, Nebraska is that side. way. And, you know, we've, our family ranch, we have one and, uh, yeah, it's like, you have all the, I just actually read through the agreement the other day. You have all the rights to it, all the hunting rights. Um, and it, on, no, on, it says on, no, no public access. Yep. Yeah. Who knows? Maybe it was Nebraska. I'm thinking of, it was somewhere I've hunted and we were having that conversation uh, with one of the landowners and it would shock me because, you know, it's typical. I, I grew up in, in Wyoming and lived here all my life. And I just I thought every school section, I thought it was a federal mandate. That's how it worked. It's not, it's all state, it's all state regulated. Yep. Yeah. Interesting. Well, um, gosh, I think, are there any big changes coming down for any states that you guys can think of off the top of your head? There's, well, there's, there's some big stuff happening in, in Montana. Uh, or they're they're changing some of the units around, or they're proposing to change some units around, <clears throat> um, especially with elk. Uh, obviously, Idaho, their draw system or their over-the-counter stuff has changed. Wyoming has a few small ones, nothing huge. Um, well, I think we <laughs> were kind of licking our wounds from the from the wolf thing here a few years ago and the bear thing. Um, but uh, and of course, this migration deal here in Wyoming, they're they're uh, formulating that data and then figuring out how to how to change and what to change but i think you're going to see a lot more of it all across the west as the states become as the pressure becomes bigger and bigger uh with with trying to manage the the hunters and trying to manage the wildlife um you know just keep your ear to the ground it's kind of this is kind of early because usually those things like in wyoming it's only every other year that we have legislators uh in session that do this type of stuff 
And so from now, our, our legislation was in a couple of weeks. We'll start to see a bunch here in the next mm -hmm. three weeks, three months yep. specifically. But Montana is uh, proposing changing some of their deer season, shortening it. So that's something definitely to watch. Um, something definitely to watch inside of Tag Hub. Make sure you have. They're a Tag talking Hub about membership. splitting them too, aren't they? I I believe so. I need to. We need to reference Dan on that because he really Dan Picard, our MRS author and the guy that put together all the data for the Tag Hub. He from, uh, from Montana. Yeah, from Montana. Um, he <clears throat> he'll have all that in there, but the, look really in depth at your season dates because this is when people get caught by surprise when season dates are shortened, and so they plan vacation and things like that. So this is where you have to be really, really attentive. The states are and, required legally to let us know, but we still have to pay attention ourselves because tradition kills us. And application dates, you know, mm -hmm. was it last year Montana moved, uh, and Wyoming moved a bunch of their store on and so it's they, this from now until the end of March is where things really, really change and it can change overnight. In fact, you know, in the past we've had to, we've, we've had to send out uh, additional mailers and, and, and emails and stuff saying, Hey, you know, we printed this about Montana season dates. Cause at the time when we printed that was the season date or that was, I'm sorry, that was the application date. It has changed. Yep. And here's the new date. So <laughs> here's the, the, I come into my office and I'm pulling my hair out trying to get the most recent data for Nevada because it's always been such a tight deadline to get that into the print magazine. And so like it's progressively moved further back, which has given me more space to make that happen. And I'm really happy about that, but it's also maddening because I'm prepping to write Nevada's MRS. Like I'm working on some of my write-ups right now and they haven't even declared their official application deadline yet. And so that yeah. makes it a challenge to deal with some of this. But their, their success rates or anything else. Yeah. So, you know, that's one of the reasons we've done intentionally done this 30-day um, free trial with TagHub. Guys that have been MR, or MRS readers in the magazine for years, they're like, well, where do we see this? Well, go look in TagHub. We want to make sure you see it. You know, and so that gives them the opportunity to look and then, you know, figure out with TagHub what they like and that sort of thing. So there's that opportunity there. That's the easiest way to stay up to date because digitally we can change things very quickly. Whereas with print, it's one and done. You know, once it's sent out the door, it's, it's gone. Yeah. Jordan, are you guys seeing in, in your guys, in your circles, a confusion on trophy hunting versus just regular, you know, meat procurement and, and substance, you know, procurement. Are you seeing a negativity around the word trophy hunting? Uh, my circle personally, not, <clears throat> um, but I definitely see the negativity. Um, I think more towards the, like the meat hunter or people just driving roads, you know, there's always like been that bashing, I guess, which I don't really understand, but that's, that's what I've seen <laughs> more so than like on the trophy hunter side. Yeah, it's been, you know, we're starting to see, uh, people questioning or, or not understanding the ignorance, the ignorance around it about what trophy hunting really is and how you have to have in order to have uh, both sides in order to have true management, you have to have trophy hunting and you have to have what we call uh, herd health is trophy hunting. And then what, and then herd size is meat procurement. So in order to keep a herd at a certain size, which, is you know a range can only well you're a ranch girl you know this a range can only sustain so much right you know a population of x amount of animals and so in order to maintain that size an easy way to do that is to kill off females cows does that type of stuff and and shrink that just like the cars we were talking about earlier you want to shrink a herd size real fast go dump 600 cow tags in an area that has, you know, 3000 elk, that'll shrink it fast. And it does it exponentially over years versus herd health, which that's what trophy hunting is, is, you know, we're going to take the old, uh, the mature males that are older, either at the end of their breeding or the top end of their breeding um, or past their breeding life. It's no, no different than colon bulls uh, for ranchers. You take that old bull out that is, you know, he's, he's, he's big, he's strong. He's been running, he's running all the, all the breeder bulls out 
of this herd of 30, 40 cows. So that they, you know, all of a sudden you have these 30 or 40 cows, it's going to take a second cycle, maybe even a third cycle to all actually, um, you know, have, get bred versus if you take that old bull out and then there's a bunch of, you know, young six points and that the first cycle, those cows are all getting bred. So they're not coming into a second cycle, which is just a lot less stress on that herd. You go into third cycle with a, a herd of elk third cycle, you know, you're talking the end of October and in some places up here, up North, you're talking below zero weather already, you know, snaps of that and cold weather yeah. and those cows and the bulls are all stressed out from the rut. That's a serious problem. And that's when disease happens. That's when, you know, CWD takes a toll on them or EHD takes a toll on them. That's when they really have problems is when they're stressed. So if you can take out a, a herd that is healthy in size but has too, a, a bull to cow ratio too high. You can take some of those bulls out there. The stress level on that herd goes down and they're healthier, less disease. Makes sense. So, yeah, there's some, there's some more tidbit. That's another one of my rants. Trophy hunting is conservation. Don't, don't, don't kid yourself. I like Ike's rants. <laughs> <laughs> you should wait till I have a few, few cocktails in me. Then I really get going. <laughs> Oh, I've, I've seen those. They're fun. <laughs> oh, man. Well, I think the last thing I, I wanted to bring up was like how you use Tag Hub to maybe like find more opportunity. That's one mm -hmm. thing like we talked about a little bit earlier is like it seems like the overcrowding issue leads to people just saying there's no opportunity and they can't shoot anything. So they go home or whatever. Um, but I don't really think that's the case. So how do you guys use Tag Hub to? find opportunity <laughs> so well, it, it all depends on number the number of points you have if you yep. you know if you're a guy that has max points in a, in in a, for a species in a, in a state you're going to want to be looking at the what we call the blue chips and those are those are the hardest to draw but you don't want to avoid the other ones because you know you, you want to be able to play both games you know knowledge is power Power, right that's that's he who knows the most knows the best gets the rest if you know that axe point if i put it for a high profile unit and i put in a lesser profile unit on the random draw and i don't draw my blue chip but i do draw my green or my yellow chip which it's blue then green then yellow and you don't burn those points as long as you do a second, as, as long as you use your, uh, as a second choice. Like I don't know that. So they only put in for the high profile and then if they don't get it, they don't get it. So they, you know, knowledge is power. So it depends on your points. Number one, number two, you know, if you, if you don't have max points, I, I'd stay out of the blue chips, keep building those points. Or if, you know, to back to Hunter A, Hunter B, if you're a hunter A that wants, that is trying to climb that trophy ladder, maybe you want to collect points and hunt the general areas just so you have, you're out in the field. Cause I, I honestly, I don't believe in just collecting points. That's, that's not what we're here for. Who wants to only, I mean, it, it's, it's like playing golf and only playing the, the PGA. Oh no, I only play the PGA. I don't, I don't play, I don't play on the weekends. I don't do that. Well, that's just silly. That's asinine. How are you supposed to keep your skills sharp? Collect the points if you're if you're trophy if you're climbing the trophy ladder. Play the points and then hunt every year or every other year a specific species or play three states. Is the other thing back to crowding. These guys learn that they can play three states, hunt a species like elk every year. Maybe not draw three elk tags, but draw one elk tag mm -hmm. and play the points in all three of those states. And so then they get on this what I call the treadmill or the snowball effect, and it just and they can hunt every year. And one out of seven years or six years, they get one of these high profile blue chip point, uh, areas. And then they're hunting, they're, they're honing their skills and they get a chance, you know, 10, 10 chances in a lifetime of a really big trophy. Yep. Then there's the other side, Hunter B, who just wants to get in the field, get rid of the blue points or blue chips, focus on the green and yellows. You'll get to hunt. You get to get in the field. You get to do what you want to do as far as, you know, what makes you happy. You get to procure meat, your meat, bring something home for the family. 
you know, learn to cook it, get on our YouTube channel and learn to cook it because a lot of, there's a lot of families out there that are still struggling with wild game. You know, the husband brings it home and mm-hmm. the wife looks at him and tries to cook it like a beef steak and it is completely not. You know, that's, that's not what it's meant for. That's not how it was meant to be cooked. If you cook it really good, it, your kids will see, your kids will not stop eating it. I can't keep my kids like the other day, duck is not one of our family's favorites or hasn't been until <laughs> recently. And uh, we have a, we have a, a group called the wingman in our organization and, and uh, they have YouTube videos and stuff, but they took a really famous uh, bird hunter on a hunt and killed some ducks and he showed these guys a unique way to cook them. So I took my 12 year old daughter out and we killed some ducks and I, for on Christmas, I was like, I'm going to try this. And it were unbelievable, unbelievable. I couldn't keep my kids out of the duck and which no one ever says that in my circles. No one ever used to say that. I couldn't keep them out of the duck to the point where we turned around to have turkey and they were both full. I'm like, Oh, great. That was dumb. So we're eating turkey until March. But if you learn how to cook it and that, that hunter B, those guys, you know, beat procurement, learn how to cook it and, uh, and get out in the field and, and enjoy it. The point creep happens. It's going to happen. Opportunities are what you're, what you're, you know, what you want to seek for it. And I will, I'll, I'll end it with, I'll end this rant with just cause you have a tag in a blue chip area. doesn't yep. mean you're going to shoot a big yep. bull because you still have to have the skills and it still has to, it's still hunting guys. It is not going to go shoot elk and it's not going to shoot buffalo in yellowstone park it's not that easy <laughs> yep didn't we just do a blog on that Hunting <laughs> yeah buffalo actually that's another hot topic the buffalo and in, in yellowstone they got way too many and the buffalo figured out basically where the lines are and they just know not to cross it and so <laughs> what do you what do you do you know not enough of them are migrating out and honestly they're just staying closer to that line so yeah, yeah. Dang. Well, that's kind of all I had for you guys. Thanks for taking the time. Is there anything else you want to hit on? Um, you know, I've, we've been running the discount code on Rockslide for Eastman's tag up. So if you are interested in that, the code is Rockslide 20, 20% off. So if you want to become an Eastman's tag Hub member, um, feel free to message me. I'm active on there. Um, I believe it's Scott underscore EHJ. If you've got any questions related to Eastman's tag Hub anything um, like that, you're more than welcome to message. Mm-hmm. Um, we make ourselves available intentionally to talk through anything related to Tag Hub or West. <laughs> Apparently he had a time limit. Well, yeah, yeah, 20% off on Tag Hub and, uh, you know, get on there. We answer questions. Uh, Ta- uh, Scott specifically answers those questions and, you know, and he runs them by. The cool thing about that if you have a question in Montana, he'll go, he'll run his office and say, Hey, I got a question. I'm getting this question from, you know, a guy in tag hub, what would you do? And it's a lot more tailored to that specific dude, which is, you know, who, who, who wouldn't want that kind of advice guy that spends oh, yeah. 2000 hours, you know, mining the data of of Montana, as well as spends four or five weeks a year hunting that state, not to mention, you know, his network of people that he knows up there. So that's a pretty good resource. Yes, it is. We got him back. Oh, there he is. Man, mid-sentence, I got lost. I was like, and the worst part is, is like, did I sit here talking to myself for a while? At what point did you lose me? <laughs> well, I appreciate, appreciate your time, Jordan. And ha- thanks for having us on. It's been fun. Oh, and, yeah. And uh, hope, hope to do it again. Yep, Thank you, absolutely. guys. Yeah, thanks, we'll Jordan. have you back on. We'll uh, see you guys in Salt Lake probably. Yes, you will.